Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. David McLean here with Ewan. Ewan Mitchell, how are you, Ewan? Hi, David. It's good to be back. Indeed. And you're going to be here for quite some time. I'll be doing the summer edition. The, the summer edition. December and into January. And I've already seen your programming, which is in fascinating, oh, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> this is my last show for the year, and I'm going to play one of the best of uh, from the course of the year. Right. And um, so this was a an interview with Rachel Matthews, and the novel was Siren. Great. So here we go. Jan, many people lead lives of quiet desperation. And this is evident in Rachel Matthews' novel Siren. So, Rachel, welcome back to 3CR. Thank you very much. This novel begins with the rape of 16-year-old Geordie Spence. Now, the circumstances leading to that moment are very revealing. And if I can just read a bit of an example of uh, Jody's mindset. Jo- uh, Jody, Geordie. I've got to get that right. Geordie. I've written it here. Geordie limped through the streets, a blister stinging from fake Prada high heels. She'd bought the shoes the day before at a discount place in the mall. She felt tall in them. And although they were vinyl and the black plastic surface was starting to crack... When she looked in the mirror at her long legs, she was a contestant on Australia's Next Top Model. What sort of forces are compelling Geordie? Geordie represents, I think, uh, a lot of young women who are wanting to feel um, part of something something bigger uh, and I think are very influenced by that Kardashian world and that Facebook world, social media world of, of you know, how they should be, how they should look. And Geordie lives in poverty in, in Housing Commission and, and she wants to have a night away from that where she can feel special. But all of her uh, images of what makes you special are basically arbitrary and artificial in many ways. They are, they are, but they are, um, I think they are so entrenched now in the daily media and in conversation and in really in ideals, um, especially for young people and for her, that is, um, it's a way of really reaching something that's out of her everyday life. Yeah, something to aspire to, but it, yeah. it's unreachable in many ways. Mm. But you've already sort of started to suggest something here where you talk about living in poverty because you go into Geordie's background, her family, mm. because um, you've got uh, her parents, mm. uh, Petra, Mother Petra, and Father Kane. Mm. So you start developing that um, sort of generational Uh, perspective Mm. and despite the genuineness of Petra and Kane's initial relationship when Mm. they began as young people Mm. their relationship's falling apart Mm. and the forces that have influenced that I think um, I'm really interested as a writer in exploring um, the labels and the um, the impact of stereotypes 
um, especially for people who don't often have a voice, and particularly in fiction, I think often don't have a voice. And to me, the characters in this story um, have a lot more to them than what we, we, we have presented to us in the media in the current affair kind of programs. Those narrow ideas that impoverished people are uneducated, they have nothing to contribute. And as we know, that you know, people are a lot more laid and complex than that. Well, they've got talents and skills that are never fully realised. That's right. And for a lot of them, that, that, that's kind of a pain and a grief that, that they have to carry with them. But um, Kane is away trying to find work. He's struggling to provide for five kids. Um, Petra is seeing someone called Boss and brings a bucket of KFC home to feed the children after a night out with Boss. Mm. I mean, it's it's... It's got a sense of patheticness uh, in yeah. the truest sense of the word about it. Well, I mean, she, Petra, I mean, she does the best that she can with what she knows. And that's mm. all she knows. And, and Petra, again, is like one of those people who is very typecast and stereotyped in current affair kind of, um, you know, journalism. And Petra really loves her children. Mm. And, you know, she's, she's, she's doing the best she can. But there are reasons for their behaviour. In many ways, I mean, Cain uh, was beaten by his father, yeah. who was... Um, now, was he the war Yeah, veteran? Vietnam vet. Vietnam vet, yeah. etc. So there's a build-up of circumstances or events which are indirectly influencing the event that starts the novel yes. in many ways. It's, it's compounding. Mm. So you've got this multi-generational look at a problem in society, mm. uh, giving it more than just the um, victim-perpetrator mm. uh, perspective to it. You've also then got another layer here. You've got other characters. You've got uh, Max and mm-hmm. Ruby. Now, Max was present at the time the rape was committed, but it was committed by an associate. I don't think they're friends anymore. Dirk. Mm-hmm. But Max is challenged as well. Yeah. The forces working on him? Well, again, I mean, there you have another kind of label of a footballer and and the world that he struggles with is is that kind of media world and all the expectations of what he is meant to be. He's he's at the end of his career. He is. And he's going to be on the scrap heap. Yeah. He's a product. He is, and he's also uh, a country guy who... Um, who struggles with, um, you know, looking for an authentic kind of life and connection. Hmm. And, well, speaking of connection, there's another uh, character here, Ruby. There's a potential for a connection there. Ironically, Ruby works for a dating agency. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she does. But she can't find love. No, and, uh, you know, Ruby uh, also represents the stereotype of a, a very educated woman who doesn't have children, who um, in many ways, you know, has, has built her career but is still feeling that, that social pressure and expectation um, to be something that she's not. And a lot of the characters don't feel that they are what they should be or what society says they should be. And in many ways, the potential is on the doorstep. I mean, um, Ruby and Max are neighbours. They're both mm. looking for a connection. Yeah. And yet, because of assumptions, misinterpretations, mm. they 
are are prevented in many ways from mm. realizing that mm. potential. Yeah, and I also because I wanted to explore that kind of that battle and that tension where, you know, relationships um, kind of begin and then they can't always uh, continue because the, the people involved uh, aren't really, um, you know, finding what they really want kind of separate to that relationship and then it all becomes quite entangled. And, yeah, un- unachievable in many ways. Mm. Um, now, you, you have made reference to a current affair uh, on several occasions in the interview so far. There are suggestions being made then about the nature of our society and its mm. priorities. I mean, Shiloh, who's one of Geordie's best friends, uh, suggests a form of justice. Well, you know, tell current affair, I reckon they'd pay you. Mm. And it's as if uh, mm. the advice she's getting is, is again, um, facile and, and mm. lacking in substance. And, and But this is seen as a viable mm. form of justice. What's going on? Yeah, well, I think I think it kind of represents um, perhaps, uh, you know, from a young person's perspective, what, you know, what, what is viewed as, um, you know, fairness or how, how do we actually balance these things out and who, who can we actually turn to? And it's the media, you know, because they are in that media world. It's the most prolific force. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, may, you might get cash from it. Yeah. As and that's th- not a judgment. I mean, that, that some of these young people are living with nothing. Indeed. And we already have examples in society of that taking yeah. place. I mean, not just off air, we were talking about the St Kilda um, girl or the St Kilda football school girl, girl. School girl. Yeah. Um, nameless yeah. um, sort of thing. Mm. Um, so she's become a product or a, an mm. image rather than a person. That's right. In her own right mm. because of that. A construction. Yes. Um, but what you've then done, I mean, there is a realism to the way you've handled Geordie's response to the rape. And I don't mm. know how much you want to talk about this in terms of, I think it's something for the reader to mm. explore, but it's not sensationalised or maudlin. Um, there would have been challenges in working out that development. That was probably the most difficult part of writing the novel. And... Um, because the novel was part of a PhD where I was looking at sexual violence in Australian football, uh, I'd done a lot of reading about, you know, how we write about sexual assault. And um, I had to make a lot of decisions about, um, you know, how, I make, how, do, how do you make that believable? But there are arguments from, you know, uh, feminist um, critics who say that sometimes, you know, are you actually... Uh, creating a space where it's voyeuristic and you kind of bring too much attention. So it's it's a difficult um, balance. But my, my intention was to to clearly demonstrate that Geordie was f- uh, physically much weaker than the perpetrator and that she had clearly indicated no. Mm. But... You've also indicated that the forces working on her yeah. are more than just that act of violation. Um, mm. There are because the the perpetrator has a sense of entitlement because of the social milieu he is in. Yeah. That social milieu is part of uh, a generational development. Mm. It's part of the media profile. So 
there's that whole construct behind it that you've put in place. Mm, that's right. And and I think I also wanted to make a comment about men who are silenced in that space as well because there are many who are unable to speak up. Well, Max is trying to talk about it mm. and yet there's that scene with the psychologist. Mm. Um, he almost gets to the point... Your time's up. And... and he, you know, he's got an opportunity with Ruby to talk about it, but he can't, or circumstances intervene. Yeah, he doesn't have the dialogue. Mm. So there's the, all of those challenges behind mm. um, the rape. So there's more than one victim, if I can put it that way. I don't want to belittle what Geordie's been through, but, mm. um, yeah... There are multiple victims mm. in this story in, in that regard. Yeah. The word victim is really interesting too because um, I see Geordie not as a victim in that uh, she has – there's hope in terms of her artistic talents and her um, her survival. She's a strong young woman. She cares for her younger brothers and sisters when her mother's not there. There is, she has a lot of responsibility, yeah. and these are the things that we don't see in the media. There is hope that comes out at the end with Geordie, but mm. there's also then still the spectre of uh, assumptions and mistakes. I'll let the, yeah. the reader discover that for themselves with what could take place. Uh, last but not least, then, Florence, yes. a homeless woman, yes. powerless yet powerful in many ways, uh, she bring well, not bring. She's a focal point for Ruby and Max doing good in the world. She is, and um, she she's pretty much. I, I think she's the Greek chorus, and she, and she sees everything, and she reminds us of you know um, what everyone really wants, and that is to to be connected. The book is Siren. Author Rachel Matthews. It is uh, a transit lounge release and well worth reading. Jan. There you go, Ewan. Well, it's a good interview. And now we have another interview coming up, this one with Carol Pousty. And Carol has recently launched her second novel for young readers. It's called In the Dark, and it's published by Cellopane Press. Welcome, Carol Pousty, to Published or Not. Hi, Ewan. Good to be here. Great. Um, now, the central character of both your novels is the same person. He's a teenage boy with a name, unusual name, Ish. I-S-H. Tell us a little about Ish. Well, Ish is in, in the dark. He's a, a nearly 14-year-old boy. Uh, he's a normal sort of boy. He likes playing sport. He likes playing basketball. But he also likes fishing. Um, he's a bit of a thinker. Uh, he's a bit of a dreamer. Yeah. Uh, he likes writing poetry. Ah, so there's the point of difference. He likes poetry in amongst all those things. Because not every 14-year-old boy would be into poetry. No, that's right. Uh, who's his inspiration for the poems? Well, his inspiration is his grandfather. Now, his grandfather um, passed away, yeah. unfortunately, on Isha's birthday. Yeah. Um, so in, in, in the dark, his grandfather has passed away and Ish is still grieving the loss of his grandfather, who... Um, was his champion, if you like, yeah. and always believed in Ish and always wanted to hear his poems and um, it, was, it was a real inspiration for him. 
Great. And so uh, at the opening of In the Dark, we find Ish, even though he's uh, been through this grieving process with his grandfather, he's looking towards the future, he's looking towards tomorrow, and the opening scene, you've got him uh, grinding the gears in his mother's car. And I'll let you tell us a little bit about that incident, uh, first of all, because I suspect it's probably based on something real, is it? (laughs) It is, actually. Now, I have to say something about Ish is that also he's a rule breaker. Ah, he's a bit okay. of an adventurer. Right. So he's yeah. not averse to, you know, doing something that's, you know, perhaps not quite um, accepted or, yeah. you know. So when when his mother and grand, grandmother go off to the shops and he's at home by himself at his grandmother's place with his sister who's just got her L's, he decides this would be a good opportunity to learn how to do the gears. Yeah. And so he convinces his sister Molly yeah. to give him a go in Gran's old car. And uh, after a few gear crunches and a few mishaps, somehow they end up out on the, the street in the car. Yeah. And Molly's beside herself. Uh, she's pretty worried that the police are going to come and... Because he's, he's just pulled straight, <laughs> yes, reverse straight that's right. into few, the street. Yes, few crunches and managed to get himself yeah. out right onto the, the middle of the road. Yeah. And so anyway, after a few more gear crunches, he manages to uh, put the gear, the put it back into forward and unfortunately doesn't quite make the driveway, <laughs> somehow turns the wheel and ends up on top of a fire hydrant. Right, and which very funny scene with the water going everywhere. But yeah. I believe this is actually based on a true now, event. This is actually based on a true uh, story. Was, was it your experience? Or no, it wasn't else's? my own experience. My daughter's friend okay. on her first driving lesson yeah. managed to do this exact thing mm. with... Uh, her father in the car. She managed to mount the curb and end up on the fire hydrant. Now, Ish is pretty worried about what might result um, from, well, well, he knows he gets grounded, but he's not too happy about it, so he turns to poetry. Yes. And what I'd like you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is read out one of the poems that Ish's write, which are included in the book in a kind of scripty font and listed at the end. And this is his response uh, to being grounded. And to me, it almost were, it could have been done as a rap song. It's done here as a poem. But would you mind reading that to us, Carol? No, I'd love to. This is, I guess you'd call it um, a performance piece, okay. you know, a bit of, because uh, yeah. that's all the rage these days. Oh, yes. So, yeah. um, we might get you uh, crowd surfing. <laughs> this. Okay, this one's called Punishment. Okay. All I did was back Grand's car down the drive. I'm alive. I survived. How was I to know we'd dive onto the road, nudge the fire hydrant till the water flowed high into the sky like a geyser? That riser was the size of three houses together. I'm telling you, my mother is mean. But I'm not keen to make a scene. It's in her genes. My gran is the same. She's just as keen to lay blame. It's unjust, not disgust. There's no trust. But I'm tough. I did not combust. Just cussed. You can't lock the door on me and Lucky, I swore. One walk a day is all I get, and if I hadn't had my say, pleaded for my pet, we'd have been locked inside, cooped up, and yes, it's a mess, and unless they address my distress, it's chess all day, though I like it nonetheless. My holiday's down the toilet if there's no time for fishing, but there's no point in crying or dreaming or wishing. Mum and Gran won't budge. It's my freedom they begrudge, 
and all for the sake of a tiny bingle and nudge. Oh, that's great. Uh, I always wanted to put a backbeat behind you then. <laughs> boom, tsh, boom, tsh. Um, uh, and there's a lot of internal rhyme there, which I really like. Uh, but some of them are very much free form as well as uh, the poems through the book. Now, one of the new characters uh, that emerges in this novel, who wasn't in the, the, the first book, uh, which was called Dog Gone, in In the Dark, you have a new teenage girl. Now, I've got to make sure I say her name properly, Anana. Yes, that's she, right. How does she introduce herself? <laughs> well, uh, she says, because Ish thinks she says Anna to start yeah. with, and so she says, no, no, it's not Anna, it's banana, it's Anana, banana without the B. Banana without the B. And she is a really full-on <laughs> character. And as they're getting to know each other, uh, she asks the obvious question. Anana asks Ish the obvious question. How did you get a name like Ish? And this is crucial to the way the plot unfolds, which I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, but this is a setup because there's actually a complication that uh, Ish doesn't know about to his name that is going to reveal a whole lot of things he had no idea about. But uh, in this short scene, it's just a couple of paragraphs, where uh, Ish explains how he got that unusual name. That's right. Well, he's just met Anana and... She's pretty full on, yeah. and he's actually trying to get rid of her. <laughs> but he's he's making some drinks for the rest of the family, and she insists on staying with him and yeah. chatting with him. Where's my drink? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, and so the, it goes, I poured the teas while Anana made her own drink. She acted as if she lived here. When I'd just been born, apparently, Mum asked Dad if my name suited me, and he said I looked Michael-ish. Then he asked Mum if she thought I looked like a Michael and she said something like, hmm, ish. At that very moment, a nurse came in, misheard Mum and said, oh, what a lovely name, ish, how unusual. And it stuck. That's awesome. Oh, I couldn't believe I just blurted out my life story to a girl two seconds after meeting her. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's some very funny moments in uh, in the dark. I'm talking with Carol Pasty on uh, Published or Not. Uh, one of the parts, one of the characters uh, is just no end of fun, is Isha's mum because she is obsessed with Mongolia. And there's a, a real and deep obsession because she, she's actually travelled there. But uh, could you give us an idea of just how obsessed she is with Mongolia? Oh, she is totally obsessed. Embarrassingly, embarrassingly obsessed. So all the foods at the table. <laughs> That's right. Uh, every meal time, it's something Mongolian. <laughs> now, you see, she's visited Mongolia once yeah. for a very short period of time, and most of that time she spent in hospital because she'd actually fallen off a camel <laughs> on the first day. Um, but she's come home obsessed with Mongolia, and so poor Ish um, is subjected to goat's milk and all sorts of Mongolian recipes that are very spicy, and yeah. he's very over hot. it. Yeah. To give him two-minute noodles he's, any day. He's sweating and burning yes, the table. Yes, that's and, right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at one stage, he even scores a Mongolian name, I believe. Yes, he does. Um, look... I won't give away any spoilers and, and give you those, all those names, but, um, yes, his mother comes up with a, a name for him. Uh, she also comes up with a name for his sister Molly yeah. and a name for herself. Yeah. And 
she's she's insistent on telling them about their names and they just happen to be on a bus yeah. at that point in time. Yeah. And so poor Ish and Molly are, are very embarrassed because yeah. she's trying to explain to them their names um, and to the amusement of the, you know, the people around them. All the strangers laughing yes. away. <laughs> but she's so sincere, and that, that was what was so funny. She, you know, what's wrong with having a, 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 a Mongolian name as a, right. another name? Now, the, um, with uh, your first book, Dog Gone, Ursula Dubasarsky gave you a wonderful review, and uh, I'm just quoting here from the back of the book because I think exactly the same words apply to your new novel, In the Dark. And uh, here it's the quote. Written with charm and humour, this is a story full of incident and emotion. And you must be very proud of that coming from one of Australia's great uh, writers for young readers. Yes, I, I am. And in the book itself, what I think you've done expertly is you've put the story together so well. All these uh, incidents you've planted in there, including the crunching of the gears and the fire hydrant incident. It came back later, and I won't give any spoilers, but much later at a really crucial time now, whoa, she has put this together really well. Um, so... It flows beautifully. It looks seamless. How hard was it, though, putting together that story? Oh, that's a good question. Um, what, did it take a few years? It did. <laughs> it did. Um, I started writing it pretty much after I after the first book, uh, Dog Gone, was published. But at the same time, I was doing my masters, so it, it yeah. sort of took perhaps a bit longer than it would have, yeah. you know, had I been um, concentrating only on that book. So it took about four years and then to do, you know, a few drafts yeah. and then um, and then another couple of years to, to hone it a bit and, yeah. you know, um, fix up a couple of plot points and, yeah. you know, develop the characters a bit more. So when someone read it, reads it now, it just so, flows so beautifully and it just looks, you've made it look easy, I've got to say, and uh, it really builds up such a fantastic momentum towards the end. But before we wrap up today, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, you mentioned you did your Master's Studies and uh, that was at Deakin University um, and I believe now you're teaching writing in neighbourhood houses in the eastern suburbs, yes, is that Yes, right? that's right, I am. Okay. Yes. And where are those classes if people wanted to, uh, say, do a, a writing class of Carol Pousty? Uh, well, I teach it at North Ringwood Community okay. House in Arabri, okay. which is in uh, North Bayswater. So North Ringwood and North Bayswater, yes. the community yes. houses. There. And is that on a regular basis? Yes, it's on a regular basis. Um, it, they, we pretty much follow the school terms. Okay. And those um, classes go for three hours right, okay. once a week. And um, people get plenty of chance to workshop. And, oh, yes, yeah. yes. And can you just turn up or...? You have to make an appointment with the, yeah. the house and, you know, perhaps yeah. just enroll first of all. But you can basically walk in off the street, yes. Yeah. But you don't have to present your CV or anything. No, to get no, the dog. no. Great. Anyone okay. can do it. Well, it's been wonderful chatting with you, Carol. We've run out of time for this week on Published or Not because we've got ruminations coming up at noon. But I'll just run through that again, as well as David's book. It's Carol Pousty's novel, In the Dark, published by Cellopane Press. And just to reiterate, David, your highlight from the year was? Well, it was Rachel Matthews' novel, Siren, which was from Transit Lounge. So that was just sort of reviewing part of the year. And you're now going to be holding us over until... 
The so next year. Holding everyone yeah. the ransom over summer. Yeah, I'll be back with the summer edition starting next week with my guest Carmel Bird to open proceedings and uh, looking forward to a few weeks on air. It should be pretty exciting. So keep listening, everyone out there, and uh, we will catch you all next year and enjoy the Christmas break, everyone. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.